do you realize just how much energy, clean energy, we need to achieve net zero by 2050? And, and it's roughly 1.8 gigawatts. Adopting nuclear can be fast, but it takes processes involving wide spectrum of stakeholders. In the long drive to stepping up nuclear, I thought it necessary and my team to bring on key stakeholders to discuss, elaborate, mentor, inform on different aspects of nuclear technology. Today, on this episode of the Afri Nuke podcast, we have the rare privilege of delving into the extraordinary mind of David Landon, the CEO of Maltex Flex. This is a new reactor technology company that has come to lift off what has hitherto been a very difficult problem to solve. So nuclear energy is a new kind of energy, although it has been existing before, but because of the clamor for climate change and also for decarbonization, it is considered a new kind of way of bringing that climate solution. And so we will delve into the extraordinary mind of David Landon, and then he will tell us all the pros, all the ins and outs of Motex Flex and how that can help us solve our energy problem in Africa. So I want to give it over to my co-host Neka to take it from me in the conversation. Neka, please. Hello, Mr. David. Welcome to Afrinu Podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Pleasure to have you here. So tell us about yourself and your journey in the nuclear industry. Okay. So I, I've joined, I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer by profession, many, many years in a variety of engineering, but I joined nuclear about 20 years ago and, wow. and got involved in delivering projects around decommissioning um, and, and also I, I spent a lot of time shipping various material, nuclear materials around the world. So projects to build ships and, and all the containers we move these materials around. So. So really, for the last 20 years, I've been leading um, teams delivering nuclear projects. And then about four years ago, I met the founder of um, Moltex and, and simply was inspired by, you know, his, the mission he had for the company and, 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 the, and the, the solution he had to achieve in that mission. And that really was all about, you know, the mission of Moltex is how to deliver clean energy. That's all very important to all of us. How do we do it for lo- at a lower cost? Because you know our belief is that economics drive many things in the world. So we always have to have an eye to the economics of energy. Third point was if we're going to solve net zero, it's a global problem. So whatever our solution is, it's got to be something which we can deploy across most of the globe. So it's it's all about clean, low cost, and global energy. And, and the solution, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about, really, was we've landed with is a, what's known as an advanced um, advanced nuclear technology or an ANT, and it uses molten salt as 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 the way we have nuclear fission. Now, interesting, interesting. I love the fact that low cost is also one of the motivation for founding Moltex, considering how launching nuclear power programs across the globe have in um, financially intensive, especially for low and middle income countries. So what new trend is um, Motex setting in the industry? We have a whole lot of um, SMR, uh, called names, and Motex is here 
And what what is more offering to us that is quite different. I mean, yes, there is the low cost, there is clean energy, but what else sets Motels Flex apart from others? I think when we talk about advanced nuclear reactors, and we're one brand of advanced nuclear reactor, but the sort of things we're looking at is how do you how do you reduce capital and operating costs? So first of all, how much does it cost to build the plant? So how do we get that to be um, acceptable? And, and as you've touched on, you know, nuclear can be very expensive. So how do you reduce the operating costs? But also how do we ensure the cost of energy is is competitive with other choices? And our, our target has always had to has, has always been how do we ensure that our our product that we're developing will achieve a similar level to burning a fossil fuel, because it's our view that you know the way the world works is that it, you know we've got to make it an easy choice between fossil fuels and clean energy. So let's let's find a technology and find a way to deliver nuclear that competes with fossil fuels, and then we we can both then everybody can enjoy energy and. And, and and do it in a clean way. That's that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, I mean, some of the, some of the other things that come with the sort of technologies, and particularly our flex technology, is flexibility of operation. Um, you know, nuclear nuclear is often seen as something that is base load, but the the technology we're talking about is able to move its output up and down to match demand and even store energy for long periods. Um, it's a small modular reactor. We're talking about something with 60 megawatts, and that can be in ones, twos, or arrays of tens. So we we can uh, different sizes to suit different applications. Um, I, I think also nuclear has tended to be um, limited in the sort of places you might put it, but we're we're looking at technologies that can be deployed in a, a whole range of places. So that's 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 an exciting change and exciting difference. I think high high temperature is important. I mean, you know, many of our challenges is not only to put clean electricity down our our pylons and cables, but also our industries. And high temperatures mean more more efficient processes. This is basic laws of thermodynamics, more efficient processes. But it means it gives us the opportunity also to to really look at how do we decarbonize industry, not just the the energy that comes down cables as well, as well. So I think it's all those areas, and, and and that's what we're looking at when we talk about this. How do we solve all those problems? Okay, it's apparent that uh, Motex is bringing in some new innovation into the industry. Yeah. That's a very good one. Um, after Fukushima, a whole lot of concerns have been raised about the safety of nuclear power plant, and it has become a major source of concern and a major key point to nuclear adverse um, uh, people. So, what is it in Motex? What is it in Motex Flex that is reassuring to the world that you are bringing in a technology that will, will that has a very high safety standard and can withstand environmental accidents? I mean, firstly, my, my personal view is that nuclear is, is very safe. I mean, I think if we looked at the facts and figures, and, you know, Fukushima was terrible, but in many ways, the, the tsunami was, in my view, was far worse. Um, you know, the, the consequences of Fukushima were actually, you know, I, I was looking at the figures and, and, you know, deaths as a result of that, I think, were one person four years after the event. That's 
and, and in the meantime, I, I just looked as an example at the mining industry in South Africa noted that, you know, last, in, in 2022 alone, 49 people, unfortunately, were killed in the mining industry in South Africa. That's not a worldwide number. So I think we've got to put that in perspective, but clearly safety matters. And, and it's probably worth here talking a bit about the technology, really. I mean, our, our technology is a thing called molten salt. Um, you know, to give people a feel, it's, it's, it looks like water. Um, at, it's at about 700 degrees. We, we love to take people to the lab here and, 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 and show them this, these, these salts. And, and literally, it would look like you were pouring hot water. Um, it's at 700 degrees, so you wouldn't want to touch it. But, and, and when it sees a cold surface, it, it, it freezes very quickly. And that's one of the beauties of this. This is not going to spread quickly. Um, it, it inherently, as soon as it see, if it were, and we wouldn't design a plant to do this, but if it were to escape a plant, it's going to stay very local to that nuclear plant. And the other, the other key thing is that in, in the fission reactions, and this is when we release energy by nuclear fission, we, we produce various other elements. And in a, in a conventional reactor, they are, are gases that are, are maintained within the fuel pellets. And, and we, we, we do a, a lot of things to avoid what's known as a meltdown and avoid those gases escaping. Um, and, and, that, and that's the concern with Fukushima or Chernobyl before that. In molten salts, the, the beauty is that these fission gases stay as a salt. And, and the way I, we sometimes describe it to people is like the difference between chlorine gas, which many of us will know have been used as a weapon, uh, among other things. And, and certainly if it was coming into the rooms we were sitting in today, we'd be going, going away from it. And sodium chloride, which is the same element, which is salt, which many of us will use in our food, we'll put on our, our, our crisps or our chips. So, yeah, that, that's, that, that's the thing. So the, the fact that this is a high temperature, freezes very quickly, and the radioactive elements that are produced during fission stay as salts within the salt, and the fact that it's highly insoluble, collectively, this is why this technology is, is so exciting and, and so high potential as a clean source of energy, but safe as well. Your test technology, I, I must agree with you, is quite exciting and innovative because uh, the radiological consequences of reactor accidents has always been uh, a major problem. But it's interesting to know that with Motex innovation, that has been taken care of. It's actually a good one. So in African continent, which uh, is predominantly a imagine nuclear country a continent we see most of the countries scrambling for smr majorly due to the cost uh efficient because going into going to build the conventional power plants would be a whole lot on the country's economy so what is it about more tax flats that makes it uh, a good option for african countries to to look at and want to to employ in their, their nuclear power projects. I think I think as I say, I'm unashamedly I say this. We we our driver is costs. Um, you know, with my development team here and everything else, when we when we talk about developing the design, it's always about well, what's that doing to the cost? Because I, I, I said it at the start, and I've got to repeat it. Our our, our firm belief is we we need to provide a. A technology that is 
low cost is competitive with fossil fuels. I mean, I, I, I sometimes I, I find myself looking at you know other areas of the technology, and we and we all see whether it's IT or, or things that you know there are technological changes at times, and and they make massive differences. Suddenly, we for example, we can store a lot more information for a, a very small sum of money and i think i think the same thing can happen here what we what we we're trying to bring is a technology which transforms the cost and the applicability of nuclear energy and and our, you know it's our firm belief that you know all forms of clean energy are good we need them all i mean i i love uh, one of the, one of the things i often tell people when i'm i'm talking to people is do you realize just how much energy clean energy we need to achieve net zero by 2050 and and it's roughly 1.8 gigawatts um, of energy that need to clean energy that need to be built every day from now until 2050 to achieve net zero. That's and ensure, a lot. And ensure every, there is a just transition. Everybody can benefit from clean energy without damaging the planet. So, and, and to make that all happen, you know, we, we, we just firmly believe that cost matters. And, and, you know, when we started this journey, it was very much about looking at all the possible ways you can have nuclear fission. And, and our conclusion for various reasons was that the molten salt technology was the was the, the best answer. Um, and, and then some, you know, so, and, and then we, we solved some of the problems that prevented this technology being a common technology in usage today. And so we believe we've got the answer to that in our labs. We've done a lot of work to show that. So, you know, it's 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 the cost driver, I think was a key point. That, you know, a technology that's it's it can it's at, at the right cost point. That's that's absolutely essential as we see. That's fantastic and it's been quite very informative listening to you and um Neka. Once again, everybody welcome to this uh, episode of the Afri Nuke podcast. This is a live pod session, and so there is an opportunity for you to ask your question. So please, if you have any question in the course of the discussion or anyone you have in mind, please put them in the chat box so that you can be given the chance uh, it will be asked to the um, uh, to the guest, Mr. Uh, David Landon. Uh, Mr. David, if I want to cast your mind back, or maybe you were not following, but let me just draw your attention to the unique environment where we are which is the african kind of environment our vice president unveiled our national transition plan towards 2060 that is when we are going to get to net zero ours is 2060 some other countries is 2050 but there is no silent place in that transition plan for nuclear how do you plan to make your design attractive for markets like ours in africa and in addition to that 2060 plan we suffer a lot from infrastructure, historical infrastructure failings, where you have to do a lot of things for your, I mean, we have a lot of public infrastructure that are not really functioning well. So how do you plan to tackle this kind of unique challenge that uh, Africa presents with your technology? Well, I think, you know, my, my view, our view is, uh, you know, in, in Africa, first of all, I, I could say in Africa, you, you clearly have you know, compared to the country I'm in, in the UK, which is a relatively small country, you have a lot of landmass and you have a lot of sun. So you have a great opportunity for one source of, of clean energy. But that, that energy is only available roughly 12 hours of the day. Um, so, the need, you know, straight away, there's a, a simple argument for why we need more or other energy sources alongside that. The, the other argument I would make is, you know, I, I go back to my 1.8 gigawatts per day until 2050. 
nuclear energy compared to say solar or wind is, is a very is a much more um, energy intense source of energy so you need less less steel less concrete per kilowatt or per megawatt generated and if we look at the sheer challenge of building that 1.8 gigawatt i think everybody in the world needs to think about how do we use the the rare minerals and the the materials that are in our earth to efficiently deliver the energy we want but not at the cost of somebody else so you know, I, I think that is my very argument why we have to seriously look at nuclear as a, a key part of the mix. And, and we're all at different stages in the energy journey. I mean, I think, I think you know, we, we need to do more to get this technology rolled out and be able to say, yeah, here is a safe technology, it's a proven technology, it's low cost, it's very energy efficient, oh, sorry, you know, materials efficient. You know, all, all those things will, will, will contribute to it. And, you know, it's... it's I think, you know, it's a fact that nuclear whole life costs are as good as wind energy and probably slightly better than solar energy in terms of CO2 emissions. So there are lots of arguments why it needs to be there, but clearly we, we need to work together, I would say, to develop that and bring, bring that into the energy mix. And, and one of the deals, as I see it, is to make sure that this is, is a cost-effective source of energy. I think, I think turning to, you know, how do you build infrastructure, which was part of your question as well, I mean... Typically, these advanced nuclear reactors are reactor, flex reactor, but all advanced nuclear reactors tend to be more modular. So these, first of all, can be built more in factories in controlled environments, which which reduces the 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 effort required in the site construction. There's still going to be site construction, site assembly, but uh, but I think that's a, a way of, of of doing that. I think the, the otherwise, I mean, you know the. I, I was recently at the, the COP event in UAE and there was an undertaking, but first of all, nuclear is definitely part of the net clean energy mix, but also we want to triple its growth. I, I think, you know, one of the points is must be about working together to show you how do we build this infrastructure effectively. You know, so there's a lot of cooperation and work needed to do that as well. And, you know... There are a lot of also uh, several success stories of um, infrastructure development in Nigeria. I find that um, infrastructure managed by private firms in Nigeria have had historical success, massive success, I would like to say. This could be another very good case study as far as the government institutions and the administrative and organizational settings um, directed to making it uh, succeed. Right now, as we are having this conversation, the electricity supplied for me to talk to you right now is from a decentralized source that's a diesel generator kind of uh, electricity supply and this is the case with many people in nigeria especially i wouldn't want to say africa because there are some people who have enough energy comparatively or relatively to nigeria's case but it's very common in nigeria that people use decentralized sources to to help themselves i mean like they've resigned to faith to helping themselves and that's the case we are having right now and this is a kind of distributed um, way of supplying energy, which Moltex um, technology hopes to provide. You hope to give us a kind of plug and play kind of um, energy source. And it promises to be like this. But how does it plan to uh, meet regulatory requirement? Because you cannot just come like you have a diesel generator without any regulation. You just can't plug it somewhere. So how do you may hope to meet your regulatory requirement adopting this kind of decentralized source of um, energy supply for Africa? Well, I think 
that will take a certain amount of time. Is it, you know, we, we, we need to demonstrate the technology. We need to show its inherent safety. I mean, you know, the, the things I was talking about earlier in terms of the fact that the assault will freeze very quickly if it were to escape the reactor, but um, it will maintain the fission products in it is the inherent safety. Yeah. What we need to show is that, that that you need a small area around that where you wouldn't want people to be or wouldn't normally be, you know, other than the people. Of, so there's a certain amount of security and, and, and exclusion of people from very local to the reactor. We so you know we need to build that confidence, um, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be. We will we'll need to obviously build regulatory capability to make sure that they those those units can be appropriately regulated. But so so it's it's it's, it's a journey of building building that up. But it's you know it's been done in other countries. Um, so I think I think it's really achieving that commitment that this is the way we need to go, and it's right for everybody. And, and then it must be those people who've done more of this already to help other countries on that journey. I mean, the UK, for example, and there are many other countries, you know, has a long history of nuclear. I mean, our, our nuclear journey started in 1950s or before. So, you know, it, I think it's, you know, as I see it, you know, net zero is a problem for everybody. You know, if we, if we damage the planet, it affects everybody. So everybody is responsible for helping one another to solve that problem. So we we need to work and help and, and, and transfer our knowledge and transfer skills and, and build skills um, so that we, we can all work together to solve the problem. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's an easy answer to that question other than we need to work together and, and help one another. That's good. We, we definitely need to work together. Every part, every part of the nuclear industry needs to come together and together would we'll definitely achieve this next zero. So you, Mr. Land, Mr. David, you've been an engineer, you've been involved in transporting nuclear materials. So I could say you've seen the length and breadth of the nuclear industry working in various roles. So tell us across your years of experience, what do you think is wrong with the nuclear industry? What can we also do better? It's a broad question. I, I, I think <laughs> I'll call that the challenge of the nuclear industry. I mean, I, if I'm really honest, I think the nuclear industry has allowed itself to be drawn too much into the question of safety as opposed to the benefits. I mean, I, I, there's an analogy I sometimes give to people, and I don't mean to be offensive, but we, 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 many of us have the, the privilege or we fly to places, and we all know that if you like, planes can crash. They, they are they are very safe. They are very safe, but they can crash, unfortunately. But we all recognise that the benefit the benefit outweighs the risk. And I, and I think we we've, we've got to talk much more about you know we you know I certainly do, and I'm sure everybody on this call wants to live on a you know on a on a, a, a planet, I mean, enjoy the lives we have, and be able to do that. So I, th I think we've got to under we've got to focus more on the benefits and and and, and having a clean energy sources. All the benefits that go with clean, sorry, all the benefits that go with energy, but doing that in a clean way that doesn't damage the planet. So let's focus on that as that's the benefit we want. You know, we we all want to enjoy whether it's our mobile phones or, or, or basic things within our homes that all rely on energy, nice food supply. Every, everything around us is so dependent on energy, from the food we eat, the steel that goes into our buildings, the the utility, you know, sorry, the, you know, the, the machines and the devices we use at home, it's so dependent on energy. So 
you know, we I think we all want to enjoy that, and we've got to we've got to we've got to understand the benefit and and and, and work together to achieve that. That's that, that's my my simple message. Isn't it? I hope we we keep working together to to make everything better for us and for our future. So in in the nuclear industry, we have what we deal with, which is the three S: the security, the safety, and the safeguards. It appears Motex from your from our conversation that Motex has been built to to solve the safety. What about the security? How is Motex secure enough to not become um, a problem, sort of, to whichever or whoever deploys your technology? Possibly talking about the origins of our reactor, because when we when we started life with this, we were actually designing it for a ship. You know, and I, and I think it was something that could go on a ship where you didn't have to have a a nuclear crew to operate it. You know, you could have a normal a normal maintenance crew if you like, and you, you've got a think of a big battery on the ship which provides energy. So, you know, that, that's that's the sort of thinking that goes behind it. But but the there are there are many features of the reactor that bring security. It's a pit reactor, so it sits in the ground. It's got a big heavy cover on it, which you know, even if you were to try and take it off, would need serious equipment. The, the you know the fact that the, the, the you know it stays as a salt so the, the, all, all those things mean inherently there's a lot of security built into it you would still want to have some level of security around it but it's 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 inherently quite secure um i mean other things which you know i'm, I'm going to get quite technical now one, one of the things in the nuclear industry is is to know where where your atoms are you know so it's a thing called accountancy but or safeguards but it's you know the the fact of our design is the with with a with with a fuel in a pin, we're very like a, a conventional reactor, so it's very easy to count those in, count those out, and know that you've got you know where your atoms are. You know, it's, it's hard in a few minutes to talk about it, but there's there's a lot of inherent security within the design as as we as we look at it. So, what text takes the safety, it takes the security. That's a whole lot, and. That's a really good innovation, I say. Um, and uh, learning that the Canadian government has granted patents to your technology, I think Motex is uh, set out to break a whole lot of new grounds in the nuclear industry. So are there any specific, unique skills that will be required to operate Motex wherever it is deployed? No, I mean, some... It's quite interesting. The UK, I'll use the UK as an example, but it, but I think it would apply. It does apply anywhere. I mean, we're we're looking at how do we grow our, our nuclear energy, and and there's a lot of discussion about what skills do we need. And 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 the reality is, um, as Jeremiah said, a lot of the skills that are needed to build nuclear are the skills you'd need to build other large industrial plants. So we need construction people, we need project managers, we need engineers. Some of those people need to know a bit more about nuclear physics, but a lot of it is about, you know, 70, 80% of that are people you need to build other infrastructure projects. And then some specialists who know, you know, the details of how nuclear fission works and, and the chemistry and things like that. But so there are, there is a need for some specialist skills, but a lot of it is, is you know, just you know, the normal people you use within within any infrastructure project, and, and bringing those together to do that. So basically, every nuclear 
uh, engineer or nuclear technologists or nuclear physicists who work very well with the Motex reactor? Yes, I, I mean, it's, you know, the people who are doing those sort of studies, yes, it's a bit different. It's not, um, you know, it's quite an interesting one just as a, a small moment because um, I remember talking to a, a UK operator and they, they were telling, I was, we were talking about the technology and they said to us, well, you know, we, we've spent our life trying to stop our fuel melting and that's a, a normal low, <laughs> light water reactor. And he said, and, and you're you're now you actually deliberately melt the fuel because it's molten. Um, he said, so there, there are things that people need to adjust to, but, but essentially the good backgrounds in in nuclear that people will quickly adapt and understand. It's just a slightly different way of doing it, you know. And you know, we we've got people here who have come from you know well known names in in. In nuclear engineering in the UK, the people like the Rolls Royces, the EDFs of the world, they've come and joined us and, you know, very quickly, you know, like what we're doing or excited by what they're doing and adapt to it. So, you know, those, those people would, would very quickly get into this technology with a bit of, you know, a few more discussions like this and some training and development. It's good. You know, most of the, the nuclear trainings are based on pressurized water reactor, which is the most deployed type of reactor. Now you are bringing in the molten salt reactor, which has not, is relatively new. So I'm sure your company may be doing one or two upgrade kind of training for people who would want to operate a Motex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yes, you, you'd always want your operators to understand the technology they're operating. But, but I suppose... You know, some of the core principles of operating a nuclear plant don't change. We're all about controlling, you know, terms that come out of reactivity, containment, you know, heat removal. Those, those remain the same. The the way it's done on a, a light water or a pressurized water reactor to a molten salt will be will be different. But the basic principles of the way, you know, we, we just do that in a different way. So it's it's a, it's about you know people under you know understanding people, making them familiar with the technology, giving them the necessary training to transition. But there's no reason why that can't be done. Um, and as I say, certainly based on you know the team I've got around me, people get very excited by the, the technology and the, the potential it has. Thank you very much. It's been a very insightful uh, moment with you, David Landon. You've talked about uh, how safe uh, the Motex design is. You've also told us to focus more on the benefits than the demerits of uh, the nuclear technology. And you are also proposing that we should have one point eight gigawatts per day energy uh, towards the 2050 target. And well, the original design of Moltex was to fit into a ship. So it uh, settles the security question because it's built into a pit kind of uh, configuration. Just one more question before we take the question and answer. So if you are here in the audience, please, and you have some question, please kindly type it into the chat box and it will be taken care of accordingly by our guest. So the question I want to ask you is, can you just give us a back of the envelope rough estimate of how much it will cost to bring a Moltex reactor to, to operation, like in USD or in pounds? Can you give us that figure? I don't know. To build, you know, we, we, we talk about once we're in production. I mean, what we, you know, to give people an image of what we're trying to achieve, and I, I steal this and uh, this, but if, if you look at somebody like Boeing, 
who build aircraft. So they, they, they churn off about two planes off their production lines a day. Okay. We, you know, to get to that 1.8 gigawatts, that's where we need to go. So we need to go to much more mass production of nuclear reactors than there's current, the world has currently been used to. So that's, that's, that's the, you know, the, the sort of the level we'd like to get to. And, and you know, we're, we're looking at something which for a 60, a 60 megawatt unit to build a single unit would be about 30 million pounds dollars are not that much different these days so uh, as an order of magnitude thank you very much for that um very right on bond answer so i want to take some questions i'm taking the question from um Requende kefas who is asking how do you intend to build a local friendly and costs and trying to get that and cost efficient power reactor for a country like nigeria with population of over 200 million, likewise different geographic uh, regions. So he's, he's asking, how do you build a local, friendly and cost-effective uh, reactor uh, for a country like Nigeria that has is um, largely or densely populated like we are? As I say, we, we, we are a technology developer and we would, we would want to build with work with developers to deploy the technology so we we want to bring a technology to market which is low cost and then work with developers so i think i've not looked at detail in nigeria but the way i would see it would be certainly we we would need to find development partners as as with any infrastructure development you would need to to work very closely with all the stakeholders and, and talk about the technology and what it does in in building you know a consensus and support and i, I think that's you know, from my experience, wherever you are in the world, that's that's one of the things you need to do. You know, you, you've asked me some challenging questions today. Well, what about Fukushima and things like that? And yes, of course, people have those questions. I think I will always try to turn it around and say, let's talk about the benefits, what we're trying to achieve. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, you, you can't, you know, people are absolutely right to raise those concerns. So, so I think, you know, they you know, we would need to develop development partners. We'd need to work closely with the community, with the, the local governments, the central governments in those regions. But but inherently, we have a technology that's been designed that, you know, I, I always said I want it to be possible to get it to most places on this earth um, and deploy it. So, you know, its size, its shape allows us to use the term I've used is reasonable infrastructure to get it there. You don't have to, you know, change the world to, to get it to somewhere. So it will go there, as I say, at 60 megawatts, which would, on UK usage is about, would give electricity to to about 40,000 homes, roughly, rough, rough figure. Wow. You know, you can, you know, if you've got 80,000, you could put two of those. If you, you know, we, we've, we've been recently talking some sort of big industrial users, they might, they might want a couple of reactors for heat and power. Yeah, so there's no reason, or or it could be a big power station which might have, if it was a 500 megawatts, it might have 24 units on it. So, you know, that's one of the, one of the flexibilities of the reactor. But but I think the the other bit, the we we see that this can be deployed much closer to where it's needed, whereas traditional reactors have probably been a lot further away from the point of usage. Um, all, all about safety and, and security and um, the, these can be deployed much closer to it. So the, the infrastructure required to get energy from where it's produced and the reactor to the point where it's needed can be a lot shorter. Sure. And, and, I, I, and I think I, when I talk about energy to people, I often say that's something you need to think about because there's, there's producing clean energy, that's the first problem, but then you do have to get that energy from where it's produced to where it's needed. 
and and that's that can be a challenge as well. And, and we, I think one of the benefits of modular reactors is, you know, potentially you can put those that those much closer to the point of usage. Yeah. That's um, a very good uh, way of describing how modular and decentralized it is. Um, I'm taking the question from Mohamed Tukur from uh, Center for Energy Research and Training in Zaria. He asks, how do you avoid structural damages from the salts? And secondly, how do you okay. have a, a, very a very technical question? Yeah, <laughs> do you have a working prototype? So these are the two questions from uh, Mohamed Tukur. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things it, it, you, it's a nice question for me that because I, I get into the technology. So, as I say, when, when we first looked at molten salt, the these you know the first work was done on this by the Americans who wanted to fly planes using molten salt reactors. And, and you know, I go back to my you know their question was we want planes that can stay in the air for a long time, but we also know planes crash. So nuclear energy is a good idea, but we need something that if the worst happens and the plane crashes, is, is very localized in its effects. So that, that was always the attraction of molten salts. But leading into the question, one of the big challenges is how do you avoid corrosion? Um, it's not quite the same corrosion you see, you know, if we went to somewhere near the sea where a salt-laden air is corroding pipes, but the salts, and, and, and the alloys in the reactor can be a problem if they're not managed properly. So one, one of the novel things about our reactor is, is this idea that you have a, a fuel pin which has a, a molten salt in it, which contains a fissionable um, material, which is very similar to a conventional light water reactor. There we, we have a molten salt fuel pin. They have hard ceramic pellets of fuel, but it's very similar. And in our case, in a, a light water reactor, you've got water as the coolant. In our place, the molten salt is also the coolant, so we have two salts. But compared to the traditional molten salt reactor, that separation of the salts straight away makes the whole how do you stop erosion and corrosion much easier because we've now split the problem in two. And you know, rather than having a, a very hot mixture of an ever-changing mixture of elements circulating around the reactor and trying to have to control corrosion yeah. we we've now split the problem in two but the, the second point is we we use metals within the both the salts in simple terms which preferentially remove the oxidizing agents that would be a problem to the alloys it's a little bit more complex than that and probably too long for a podcast, but essentially we, we it's a combination of the fuel having a fuel salt in a pin and a separate cooling salt and some clever chemistry whereby we put other metals in, in the salt to preferentially take away the the element the oxidizing elements we don't want and, and that that gives good corrosion control. And 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 to put that in context, because that probably sounded a bit sciencey, put that in context. We, in our lab, when we take people around, we show um, materials that have been in ovens. So we, we put the salts in the reactor steels or the alloys. We we cook them in ovens at 700 degrees to 900 degrees. And, and then we take them out, cool them down, slice them in half, and then we look at them under a microscope. So we look at them under an optical microscope, or even we've got a scanning electron microscope. And, and the, the change in the steel is, is very fractional. The best way I can describe it is it's less than one hundredth of the human hair. If after three years, we, we're showing less than one hundredth of the human hair change in that alloy. Wow. So these control, these corrosion control mechanisms are working very well. Yeah. 
That's cool. So his second question is, um, yeah, do you have any prototype working yet? The, the other point I should say, there is, if anybody's interested after this, on our website, there is a podcast we did, okay. um, which is a tour of the lab. So if anybody wants to have a look at that, there's there's a bit more detail in there as well. So right. obviously you'd be very welcome if you have the interest to go and have another look at that. Sorry, yeah, this working prototype. Now, we, we our, our development timelines are, we, we would be looking to build a, a prototype by the end end of the decade and, and go into mass rollout in the uh, sort of mid 2030s. That's that's the sort of time scale. That's our target. That's cool. Hope some some hard chemistry heads are already cooking some chemical formulas on how to separate those um, corrosion crowds or impurities and also those who are. Well, we, we yeah we. <laughs> I mean that that's that, just on your impurities. That that is different. Many many. Multiple solid reactors go for high purity um, as a way of avoiding corrosion. We go the opposite way. We say we will use good quality salts, but you know, on an industrial scale, having high purity and keeping it high pure for the life of a reactor is very challenging. So we go the other way. We we use good quality salts, but with the the mechanisms I've just described to you. We, we we manage that corrosion and and and, and it's not a problem to us and, and I say we we've we've done that both with the cooling salt which is in contact with alloys in the reactor but also the fuel salt and we've also simulated how that fuel salt will change through life as different elements are produced during fission to show that even when those elements the corrosion control mechanisms still work. That sounds analogous to the Canadian technology that uses the natural uranium. They don't go through so much um, processing to get their fuel. So, yeah, I mean, Canadians always show that they can do it. So, another case study. <laughs> okay, so the last question from Funke reads, how long does it take to deploy a reactor from the time um, another is made? Okay, I think you answered that in the course of the discussion. But if you want to throw more light, please go ahead to this. No, it's I'm, I'm happy to talk. In, in, in terms of timescales, I mean, obviously the demonstration reactor will take a bit longer, but once we're in full production, and it would depend on the number of units, but we're talking for a reasonably large power station, a two-year build. That's, that's the sort of timescales we're looking at. Because I, I, th- I think, again, this is one of the, the challenges I think the nuclear industry has, has had is that not only the cost, but the time it takes to, to build those. So I think the combination of the, the simplicity of the design, the fact it's a very modular design and can be produced in factories with, with much less on-site work means that we can look to build these in the sort of similar timescales you would to a normal industrial plant. I think that's our target. You know, if you, you, know, you talked about Nigeria, Jeremiah, very much you, you, you'll see industrial plants being there built within 24 months and, you know, there's no reason why not. Sure. That's cool. Makes a lot of sense. And I hope that very soon we will have one more text design in Nigeria. (laughs) That would be good. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so it's been a very um, educating and enlightening moment with you. You talked to us a lot about um, different great aspects of the Moltex technology and nuclear industry in general. Uh, I would like to, I usually ask my guests this question how ready they could be for touring and to mentor some mentees because the largest population of people in uh, Africa are young people and we need um, mentors to mentor our mentees as they come up in the nuclear industry and also in the energy scape and in general. I would like to ask, uh, in addition to the last words you have 
are from and for the nuclear industry, how available you could be for mentoring and also for nuclear technology development and yeah, and other related stuffs in Africa. I mean, I mean if, in principle, yes, we, we, we're keen to we're keen to support, and, and I, I, you know, I, I very much believe that as well as developing the technology, we've we've got to be advocates and 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 help people think about it. And I and I, I often think, you know, I'm, I'm relatively late in my career, but I often think that you know, the many of the people we need to speak to are the people who are perhaps eight or eight or nine at school, and then inspire them with how important energy is and and. You know the jobs they will be doing and building the plants that we all need in you know 10 15 20 years time so so yes in principle yes i'm very happy to explore that a bit further yeah. if you have yeah. any parting words i think we'll, yeah uh, I, I think yeah, yeah we'll I, to the conclusion yeah i think for me you know a, a just and a fair transition to net zero in 2050 is immensely challenging for everybody. It's it's back to my 1.8 gigawatts a day. Different people will give you different views, you know, view, but that's that's the challenge. And I, and I do believe that nuclear is an essential component. There are, you know, we need lots of other things. We need solar, we need hydrogen. Yeah, all those things will be part of it, but nuclear is essential. So we do need to speed up deployment and improve the cost of existing nuclear. But, uh, but I do think just as in other fields of technology, technological advance can make such huge differences. We, you know, we've got to be looking for how we bring new technologies forward quickly, because they could have such a transformational effect on us all achieving what we want to do and get into net zero in 2050. That would be my message. And you know, there you go. Thank you very much. And that's um, a very great one. And uh, I hope that we bring on uh, new technologies quickly to solve the climate challenge as quickly as possible so that we can reach net zero at the appointed time. And it's been a very educating, informing, motivating and highly informative um, time with you, Mr. David Landon. I want to thank you very much for the time you've had with us. And this is the end for today's um, podcast. Thank you, everybody, for showing up on today's podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Thank you.